This is the Digital Agency Insiders Podcast. Inside, you'll learn how to build, grow, and scale your digital marketing agency all from the comfort of your favorite coffee shop. Let's get started with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Digital Agency Insiders. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. This is the uh, podcast that gives you a little bit of an inside look into how digital marketing agencies started and grew their agencies over the years. My name is Tabitha Thomas. I'm your host. And uh, I encourage you to go and subscribe to this podcast. We release new episodes every single Tuesday with brand new, uh, brand new marketing agency owners. So I'm excited to have you guys with us. Uh, today, I have with me James Carberry. James is the co-host of the B2B Growth Podcast, contributor for Entrepreneur and Business Insider, author of Content-Based Networking, and founder of Sweetfish Media Company. James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Super excited to have you. I love having a, a fellow podcaster and yes. somebody I can look up to. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have you for <laughs> I that. I don't that know aspect. about that last part, but I'm definitely a fellow podcaster. I'm, I'm yes. really excited to chat here. This is going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. So I always open every single podcast with the same question. And I, I love this question because everyone has this misconception that an entrepreneur is born that way, that this is just who they are. It's in their DNA. And that, to me, that couldn't be further from the truth. So I always ask, I like asking, what did the path of becoming an entrepreneur look like for you? Did you always know that that's what you wanted to do or did it kind of surprise you? It surprised me, honestly, Tabitha. I, and I love that you asked this question um, because I, I do not have the Gary V story of, you know, selling lemonade at six years old and, you know, flipping, baseball cards at 14, making a couple grand a weekend. That's, that's the opposite of my story. So I didn't even know what the entrepreneur, what the word entrepreneur meant until <laughs> long after college, or at least a couple years after college when I went and worked for one. And so I, I got my business degree and just thought I'm going to do the corporate thing. I didn't really think anything of it. It was what all my friends were doing. I didn't have any entrepreneurs in my life, so I didn't see it modeled. I had no clue. Like I don't know, just the, the concept of owning my own business just didn't even strike me as a possibility. Um, and very fortunately, about a year and a half or two right out of college, um, I had an entrepreneur reach out based on a relationship that I'd built a couple years prior through a sweepstakes that we had won through Alltel. So it was like a crazy circumstance. We'd, we win the sweepstakes, we get to take a private jet to New York City and go get a, we, we have a tour bus take us around the city with a police escort and we get to go watch a Giants Cowboys game in this, in the, this private suite. And it was just this unreal experience. And the guy that was running that trip uh, for Altel, he happened to own a logistics company. And I hit it off okay. with him a year and a half later. He asked me to move to Orlando. I was living in Oklahoma at the time. He asked me to move to Orlando and run the helicopter division of his logistics business. So I moved across the country and did that for about three years. And it was really working for him. His name was Jeff. And it was really working for him that where I got to see what all entrepreneurship looked like. He was running at, yeah. the, at the time. It was about a $10 million company. He had like 15 employees. Um, and so it, it's really cool now to be in a spot where, uh, you know, I've, I've got more employees at Sweetfish than he had in his business. Um, and so it's like, oh man, like, the, and he loved, like, we still meet up for lunch. We're still, you know, we, we still talk uh, very frequently and it's, uh, it's so cool to see, you know, the guy that taught me what this looks like 
Um, now, you know, he, you know, he, he, to be in a position where he's, he's seen me get to the point where I am today, uh, obviously yeah. fills him with a lot of pride and I wouldn't be where I am apart from his influence on my life. So, so that, that's been my journey. That, I love it. So before you said you didn't have any entrepreneurs in your life, you didn't see anybody that, you know, you could base anything off of. So getting to know him and getting next to him, did that change your perspective of what a business owner actually looked like? Yeah. So I, I really, I, because I had no idea what, like, I don't know, you just know of the famous entrepreneurs. Right. And so getting to see somebody that was running a small business, I was just like, Oh, well this, this doesn't seem like rocket science. Like, Uh and that's not a knock on him at all. It was just like, Oh, I can, I, I think this way. I think I had a leaning toward kind of strategic thinking and, uh, and working for him and really him giving me the autonomy and ownership over, you know, an entire P&L within his business, a division within his business. Uh, he really gave me an opportunity to kind of flex some entrepreneurial muscles without actually being an entrepreneur. So without having to bear all of the weight of payroll and, you know, having to fire people and that kind of stuff, the stuff that yeah. he was having to deal with, I got to, I got to almost like almost got to play entrepreneur in a sense and getting to run a business unit within his company. And that was really what, uh, what helped inspire me to, to wanting to pursue my own thing. Um, and I, even after leaving his business, um, I went and did a couple corporate things after that. And, uh, it was about a year or so after leaving his business that I finally decided to, to start my own thing. It's funny. Once you get into that aspect of getting to control a certain area and getting the taste of it, it's hard to ever go back to corporate. I don't know that I ever could (laughs) go back to regular. I say all the time, I'm I'm unemployable at this point. So I I could not work for somebody at this point. I've spoiled myself. Yeah. Well, in working from home, I've been here for, oh my gosh, eight, nine, 10 years working from home. I don't think I could work in an office space ever again. Same way. In the same way. I, I, uh, I know that a lot of people need that, but I, uh, I love the flexibility and freedom of working from home. Yes, me too. So tell me about how you started a Sweetfish. What, tell me about Sweetfish and how that got, got going. Yeah. So it started off as a blog writing shop and uh, I had been doing content marketing for a small tech company and they, their funding dried up. They had to let me go. And I had started a company called Worth Day Planner about a year prior to that. And during, for Worth Day, I had figured out that like, okay, content marketing is a thing. We need to figure mm-hmm. out how do we create content that attracts our ideal buyers to come to us. And so that startup was a B2C product. I had no clue how to build a product. I didn't know the first thing about fundraising or anything like that. So that product crashed and burned. But uh, but I took that into my next uh, into my next opportunity and started doing content marketing for this tech company. I was like, okay, we're like this. This makes sense. Like this, mm-hmm. it makes too much sense not to really try to execute this. Unfortunately, got let go shortly after starting to roll that out. And so when when I was really faced with a fork in the road, do I want to start my own thing or do I want to go 
and do content marketing for a company. And it really was very clear to me at that point. I had already started my own thing. I had worked for Jeff. I knew that entrepreneurship was something I wanted to pursue. I'd just gotten engaged. So it was a little scary thinking about the idea of starting something when I was about to get married. But I knew that if I didn't start it now, I'd probably be kicking myself five years down the road, having a lot more responsibilities and not being able to take the financial risk that entrepreneurship, you know, that, that you have to take in the early days. So so we uh, decided to start Sweetfish then as just a blog writing shop. We were doing stuff for anybody and everybody that would have us. And over the first year, I realized that we, we needed to niche and we needed mm-hmm. to focus. And so we ended up niching twice. We decided to not just niche in the focus of podcasting uh, because I didn't see that that was something that a lot of other agencies were focused on doing, but we also uh, niche down to who we would serve. So we specifically serve B2B SaaS companies with 50 plus employees. So that's our sweet spot client. We work with some people outside of that niche, but for the most part, it's B2B SaaS companies with 50 plus employees and podcasting is, is really, you know, all we do. So we've started to repurpose a lot of our podcast content into other pieces of content, but from a positioning standpoint, um, you know, being the B2B podcast agency has really allowed us to be known in our space for a very specific service. And, um, and because a lot of people know what we do, not everybody is in the market to start a podcast, but whenever they do get to that point where they they think, and especially with COVID happening, everybody's trying yeah. to figure out digital communication. So our positioning has really um, played a huge part in, uh, in the success that we've had up to this point. That's awesome. So why did you choose podcasting? I mean, you were talking about how it started in blogs and how did it make that turn yeah. into podcasting? I mean, is it, have you ever done a podcast before that? I did. So that okay. that's really what led to it. So I, I, I had done a podcast called um, Inspiring Awesome. And what I realized in doing Inspiring Awesome with my friend Kenny was that anybody that I asked to be a guest on the show would say yes. Yes. And I thought, huh, this is interesting. So when I thought about reverse engineering relationships with ideal clients, it's like, how do I go about reverse, reverse engineering these relationships? Well, if I start a podcast and I ask them to be a guest on that podcast, they're likely going to say yes. So long as the show is positioned around them and branded around Mm -hmm. them and not branded around my own expertise. So we tried this with, with one niche with um, new churches, church planners, and we started this podcast called plant better. We did about 45 episodes we emailed, I think we emailed a hundred church planners and we were like, Hey, would you want to be a guest on the plant better podcast? And 80% of those people responded positively. Uh, and I thought, I don't know of any cold outreach campaign that's ever in the history of cold outreach campaigns gotten an 80% reply rate, not open uh-huh. rate, reply rate. And so I was like, okay, we're onto something here. So we started plant better. And what we figured out in those first 45 episodes is that churches just don't have budget for content marketing. So we, we realized pretty quickly, okay, this isn't a fit for this, but this idea of using a podcast for biz dev uh, and being able to reach out to your ideal clients, ask them to be a guest on the show. It doesn't matter if you've only got six listeners, so long as your show is branded well and, and it looks like a legitimate show that the guest knows that they can, they can take that content and they can share it with their own audience. Mm-hmm. So even if, 
even if you, the podcaster, don't have a big audience, they can share it with their own audience. And, and so we started doing that. Uh, we started doing that again with, a, with another show that we started, which is now our flagship show called B2B Growth. And in, in pivoting into that, we realized, okay, VPs of marketing at B2B SaaS companies are who we need to start going after. So uh, there was a few iterations in between that and, and where we got to, but uh, we eventually figured out what our sweet spot was and, and we use our podcast for business development, but it's also our content engine. So it's what creates you know, a lion's share of the content that we put out in the world today. Um, and I ended up writing a book about the, the methodology. We call it content-based networking, and that's the name of the book. Um, the tagline of the book is how to instantly connect with anyone you want to know. And that's really been kind of the, sec- the, the not-so-secret sauce um, to, to, our, to our growth. We've pretty much grown 100 to 300% year over year. Um, ever since we started the agency five years ago, and it's in large part because of how we leverage our podcast. That's incredible. That's incredible. So tell me about, so you, you do this as a service. So what all is involved in the service of doing podcasts for other SaaS companies? Yeah. So on the front end, we do all of the branding for the show. So we're helping them come up with the cover art. We help them name their show. Uh, a big mistake, we see people wanting to name the show after their own expert expertise or maybe their company name or one of their core values. They want to, a lot of people want to get really cute and, uh, and they, they want their podcast to be fun. Uh, and so they, they want to name it in a fun way, but what they're missing out on is the people that they actually want to listen to it aren't searching for cute and fun names in Apple podcasts or in Spotify. They're looking mm-hmm. for things that are going to be useful to them. So for us, the, the biggest reason we've been able to grow an audience for B2B growth, and we now get between a hundred and 150,000 downloads a month. The reason we have that is because people search B2B in mm-hmm. podcast players. And we just really, it was dumb luck. We stumbled into it. I wish that I could tell you it was a strategic decision to name the podcast <laughs> what we did, but we really lucked into it. And now we use that insight of saying, hey, people searching B2B are finding our show. So instead of naming your podcast something cute um, mm-hmm. that that is aligned with your brand, instead name it around a topic or a job function or an industry that your ideal customer is interested in because they're much more likely to search that in in some sort of a podcast player than they are you know a cute and fancy name um that (laughs) that they would have no they would have no clue what to search and so when you start to think about discoverability and how people actually find podcasts you know you if you've got a massive brand so for example drift is kind of a a B2B SaaS darling. And uh, they named their podcast Seeking Wisdom. Well, that's awful from a search perspective. Mm-hmm. but they've raised $120 million or something crazy like that. They do an incredible job with their marketing. So a lot of people know about Drift. They've built a massive email list. So they can promote their podcast that has a cute and fun name because and they got fun not, stuff behind it, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, but but most companies don't have that, right? Yeah. Like most companies aren't spending the amount of money that Drift is spending on their marketing. And so yeah. uh, you've got to be able to capitalize on 
organic search, uh, specifically inside of podcast channels. So uh, I forgot I forgot exactly what what your question. We were talking was. about what all it comes with with you yeah, guys so, working with companies. Yeah. Yeah. So so we help them name their show. We we help them do the branding for their show. Um, parts of our service will will help them with guest prospecting. So we help them find great guests for their show that are also ideal buyers for their product or service. And then we do all of the audio production. We help them repurpose the content into, uh, into video content and graphics and blog content that ranks on Google and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, so that's really the nuts and bolts of, uh, of the service. That's awesome. So do you help them set up and start doing the podcasting right out the gate? Or are these usually people that have a podcast or this is brand new to them? Yeah, they're brand new to podcasting. So we send them all of the equipment and get them all set up um, and then do some uh, some coaching and training around how to host episodes. That's one area of the business where we're trying to get better and really coming alongside uh, our customers and and teaching them how to be a great podcast host. Because as you know, 25 or 26 episodes in there's an there's an art to it and so Mm -hmm. um, we host a customer mastermind once a month where we teach different you know different things uh, related to podcasting so this past one that we did was all about how do you get more exposure for your show on LinkedIn so we talked through a lot of really tactical stuff around that Um, and then we do a b2b podcasting Q&A once a month so we're constantly you know, getting questions from people and, and answering those in a forum like that. And that's really informing, man, this question keeps popping up over and over again. We should probably be teaching this to our customers as well. So we've got a little bit of an engine built in now. Uh, and hopefully we're going to be, um, you know, a lot, be able to educate our customers a lot more. Um, yeah figuring out you know that's that's what in your business you're constantly changing and evolving and twisting and turning and (laughs) all that good stuff so (laughs) so how many podcasts do you guys have right now on sweet fish yeah so uh so we're producing we've got about 70 active um clients right now and uh, and then we've got five of our own shows so b2b growth is one the b2b sales show is another one got another podcast called the CIO show, another one in the HR space called crafting culture. And then we've got the manufacturing show as well. So, um, so we've got our own shows that we call uh, collective shows. So those are shows where multiple people co-host those shows. And some of those people pay us to be co-hosts on our show. Um, And then our other model, we call it our traditional shows. So those are shows that are owned by our clients and mm-hmm. we are we just act as the production partner. So ideally in the next few years, the bulk of our business will be on the collective side as we build mm-hmm. out you know, different media properties in different niches. Um, I wanna own all of those shows and, um, and build audience for those shows because ultimately that's what our clients want is audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, um, a lot of companies don't want to invest what they need to invest to be able to actually grow that audience. And so by pooling it and allowing multiple people to co-host the shows, it gives us the funding we need to actually market the show the way that we need to market it to grow the audience. Um, and that's, that's been one thing that I've learned as an entrepreneur is really getting to the heart of what do your customers truly want. And yeah. for the first several years, I thought, oh, our customers want a podcast. That's why they're coming to us. But they don't really want a podcast. What they want is an audience. And mm-hmm. so we had to shift the focus of the business to figuring out, well, how do we give them what they actually want? And that's ultimately what led us to the collective model. That's cool. So how does it work with having multiple podcast hosts? I mean, how is that marketing? Cause I feel like that would be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. 
to to do that. Yeah, so you you would think so, but at the at the heart of it, I mean, a podcast is just a conversation, right? And so um, the more hosts that you have on your show, the more advocates that you have. So your hosts are much more likely to share the podcast because mm-hmm. they're actually hosting these conversations. What it also allows you to do is create a lot more content. So if you have five co-hosts as opposed to just one, now you can put out a daily show because you've got five co-hosts that are that are doing one interview a week. So now you've got a daily show instead of just a once a week show. And you're, you have the opportunity now to communicate to your potential customers every day as opposed to just once a week. And so let's say that you do a podcast once a week, which a lot of our clients are doing weekly shows. Well, if there's a week or two that go by where your content isn't necessarily resonating with the buyer because they're not, they're in a different, you know, they're, they're focused on something else and you're not necessarily talking about that thing. What well, might be two or three weeks before they want to listen to another one of your episodes just because the content hasn't been relevant. Well, if you're putting out, you know, one podcast a day, then you're the likelihood of you being mm-hmm. able to communicate with them on a much more regular basis is much higher. So we've gotten to the point with B2B growth where we're now putting out episodes multiple times a day on a lot of days because we've got so many different co-hosts. I think we've got something like 19 different co-hosts on B2B growth. And so long as you vet them and you make sure yeah. that they're, you know, that you trust what they're saying and that they're talking to great people, um, then it's to me, the more, the more co-hosts, the merrier. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about this idea. So it's something that I'm trying to, uh, trying to amplify LinkedIn and talk, talk to more podcast hosts about this idea, just because it really has been, you know, uh, it's been pivotal to our own growth because we're putting out so much content. It differentiates us. So I don't know of any other daily B2B marketing podcasts, and so B2B growth being the only daily B2B marketing podcast that I know of, uh, it, that's, that's a talk trigger, right? That's, that makes somebody say, oh, you should listen to this show because the, the content comes out every day. And yeah. so long as you're keeping your content quality high and you're, yeah. and you're, and you're focused on quality, um, I, I think also focusing on quantity is a huge piece of the it's really easy to discount quantity because you, oh, I want our quality to be high. Well, we're doing both. And so I think, I think the re, one of the reasons we're able to do that is because we have multiple co-hosts. Yeah. So I, just a random question. So if you've got five people, does one person always do Mondays and another person always do Tuesdays? Is that how, or is it random sorting? No, like, so, so you can structure it that way. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've got some, like with a lot of our co-hosts, they maybe do one or two episodes a month and then we, our producers slot mm-hmm. them in. So I think sometimes they go live on Tuesdays. Sometimes they, it, it doesn't really matter. One, one thing that we've tried to do uh, we we bucket their episodes into a particular series. So we've got somebody that does the category creation series for B2B growth. And so all of his content is related to what it looks like to create a category. Okay. And at the front, in the, in the front of every one of his headlines, it says hashtag category creation, and then whatever episode number in that series. So as listeners are scrolling through our podcast, they're like, man, I love the category creation series, but maybe I'm, I'm not an agent. We have, we also have an agency series within our show, but for those that are listening that aren't an agency, they can easily just delete the episodes that open with agency and listen to all the ones that, 
you know, are for content marketing or for category creation or whatever. So by, by doing that subtle little difference in the headline, uh, it, it creates a much better listener experience. That's awesome. I love that. I, it, it's definitely unique. You don't hear a lot of that. Everybody kind of holds on to their one thing. This is mine and I'm not sharing it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm a big time believer, Tabitha, that we can go a whole lot further, a whole lot faster if we go together. And I think instead of, instead of companies trying to climb up their own mountains and being siloed, I think if you can come together with people that are obviously, you know, non- competitive to what you're selling. Uh, I think you can come together with people, create content under one umbrella, have everybody sharing and pointing people to that one kind of content hub. Uh, and I think you're going to grow a whole an audience a whole lot faster than just a single company trying to market their own show. So true. So true. So true. So tell me about some of the businesses you talk about. They have to have, uh, they're a SaaS company. They have to have 50 employees. So why do those businesses decide that they want to do a podcast? And you know, what, what is some criteria for you outside of those? Yeah. So the reason we've landed on that specific positioning and that buyer persona is we've just found that um, SaaS companies tend to be more progressive with their marketing. And we, anytime we're working with somebody that's not a SaaS company or going after a company that's not a SaaS company, they're, uh, they're just not as keen to doing podcasting. You know, they're, they're, maybe they're not, they don't listen to podcasts. They don't understand how that a lot of people are listening to podcasts. Um, they're, they're, I don't want to say behind the times, but I guess that is kind of what I'm saying. Like SaaS companies tend to be very, uh, progressive, progressive and forward mm-hmm. thinking. Um, and a lot of that is just this, you know, the, the context around their bit. I mean, they've gone and raised a lot of times tens of millions of dollars and they, they have to get creative with their marketing because if they don't show return to investors, they're going to mm-hmm. be in hot water. So, um, so we have found that SaaS companies tend to be really progressive. So we, we target them specifically, um, and, uh, and then the 50 plus employees thing, we've just found that usually if you have a lot less than 50 employees, you just don't tend to have the budget to be able to work with us. So we charge anywhere between two to $5,000 a month to work with our clients. And, and if you've got less than 50 employees, that tends, what we've found that tends to be outside of the budget range of what people are willing to spend. And there mm-hmm. are a lot of lower cost providers that, that can edit your audio and, and, and work with you. And so instead of going after a bunch of people that we know are not going to be a great fit for us, cause they're going to want to beat us up on price. I say beat us up. I mean, that's that they, they just can't afford, you know, yeah. the, the level of service that we provide. So, um, so we're very specific and targeted in who we go after. And as a result, a lot of, you know, because we're interviewing VPs of marketing of these, you know, 50 plus uh, person companies, our content tends to attract the exact type of people. I mean, it's content marketing 101, right? Like I started to say that was going to be my question. How are you finding these people? Obviously yeah, so, on podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So, so we find them on LinkedIn. We've got a lot of people that are now coming to us inbound on LinkedIn, reaching out to us because they're, they're resonating with a lot of the content we're putting out on, on LinkedIn. Um, but then we've got a lot of con we've just been doing this for B2B growth. We've been doing for over four years. So we've got a lot of content on the internet. Now we've interviewed over 1600 people. Um, and, and so, uh, through all of those relationships, it's really this compounding effort, but I can tell you in the early days when nobody knew who we were and nobody had any idea, the power of a podcast, 
um, man, it just, it felt like rolling a giant boulder up a hill mm -hmm. um, or up a mountain more, more like it. And so, uh, but staying consistent and persistent um, has, has been, has, has paid off in so many ways. So now I, I actually rarely host any episodes. We've got multiple people on our own team that are co-hosting the show as well as people outside of our team that are hosting the show. So I do, I do a part of the, the behind the curtain series for our show once a week with Logan, our director of partnerships. Um, but beyond that, I do very few podcast interviews myself anymore. And it's, so it's been really cool to see kind of the evolution of the show grow way beyond, you know, me doing interviews. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you've got all these podcasts, are there some that are more popular than other? What's some of your most popular podcasts that you have? Yeah. So we've, we do one for a company called bomb bomb. They're a video email platform. And this really illustrates my, my point on naming your show. So instead of naming the podcast around video email, which has very little search volume because people aren't looking for podcasts about video email. Uh -huh. uh, instead we named the podcast the customer experience podcast. And if you search customer experience in any of your podcast players, you're likely going to see their show pop up because customer experience is a very popular search term. So the customer experience podcast does really well. Um, another podcast we do is for uh, a guy named Sangram Vajre. He's the co-founder of a company called Terminus. And it's an ADM platform. Uh, Sangram's got, you know, a pretty large personal brand. I think he's got over 20,000 followers on LinkedIn. He interviews people like Patrick Lencioni and Jay Abraham. He does a lot of LinkedIn live stuff. And so his show is called the Flip My Funnel podcast, which is built around the movement that they've created at Terminus called Flip My Funnel funnel. And so uh, the Flip My Funnel podcast does really well. Uh, and, uh, and the customer experience podcast does does really well also. And then our show B2B growth um, is it does exceptionally well because, uh, because it ranks for the keyword B2B. So those are probably the three biggest ones. Um, we've started we've started doing some shows for some larger companies. Um, and and so it'll be fun to see with with all of the kind of marketing horsepower that they have because they have larger budgets it'll mm -hmm. be fun to see those shows grow as well but for right now flip my funnel the customer experience podcast and then our show b2b growth are probably the most popular ones that's that's awesome so when you first started sweetfish what was some of the biggest struggles that you faced with getting a brand new company off the ground yeah so i think just um man, getting told no all the time. <laughs> when, you're, when you're selling something that people don't think is all that valuable, um, they, they weren't understanding content-based networking. So they didn't understand this idea of, hey, get your ideal clients to be guests on your show, collaborate with them to create content. So now you've got the one-to-one -one relationship with your guest on top of really relevant content that's going to be attractive to other people that look like your ideal customer as well. It, it just wasn't connecting for them. They kept going back to like, well, how do we grow the audience? And I was like, it doesn't matter that's how big the, the audience is. <laughs> not the point. It's who can you get as a guest on your show? And, and they would be tripped up on a lot of things that um, you know, where I, I knew because we were doing it, we were drinking our own champagne with B2B growth. And I knew that like, I was a nobody yet. I was, I could ask any VP of marketing to be a guest on our show. And they were all saying yes to me. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, ah, like I just, so, so you just want to strangle people. Cause you're like, I know this is working. 
it's working for me. I'm doing like eight or nine interviews a day. Uh, but for whatever reason, you know, it just takes a while for people yeah. to, uh, to people to, for people to get it. And then shows like Serial and some of the, some of the uh, shows in the early, I don't want to say early days because podcasting has been around actually for a while, but yeah. uh, this resurgence of podcasting has really come because of companies like Gimlet and Wondery and, mm-hmm. and companies that are doing like really elaborate kind of long form storytelling type podcasts that's brought a lot of attention to the space. And so that's made it a lot easier now that people are consuming podcasts themselves. They're going, okay, we, we know because me, myself, like I listen to podcasts on the subway Mm -hmm. or on my way to work. Like why would our company not want to have a podcast and be communicating to our buyers while they're not at the office because Mm -hmm. they're not, they're not watching YouTube while they're driving. They're not, they're not mm-hmm. reading a blog post while they're driving. They're not looking at our emails while they're driving, but they could be listening to our CEO on a podcast. And so, uh, so over time, just staying, staying consistent with it and, and staying at it. I mean, I, I remember Tabitha being, uh, having multiple conversations, just saying like, people aren't getting this. Like we just, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta hang it up. Like I don't, I can't keep beating people upside the head with this idea yeah. if they're not getting it. And, um, and so a lot of it, I, I would, you know, I'm a Christian and I would say, you know, favor of the Lord just mm-hmm. kept me in it because I, I didn't want to stay, I didn't want to stay in it much longer. And it felt, it felt like right as I was starting to get to my, my tipping point of being like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like it's, 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 it's a lost cause. Like I can, I'm, we're just, continuing to barely get by month after month. Um, and, uh, finally it started to click and, uh, started to, we, we hired our director of partnerships, Logan Lyles. Um, he brought kind of 10 years of selling experience into the mix. And so, uh, a couple of different factors like that really kind of set us on the trajectory that we're on now. I'm so glad that you said that because so many entrepreneurs don't talk about the the hard times because you are going to face those hard times. And that that's what distinguishes a lot of people, how far in you're willing to, to hurt (laughs) and to keep going, even when you don't feel like it, that's where the the passion has to come in. Um, So I love that. And I love that you mentioned Gimlet. So do you ever compare what you're doing with Gimlet? Do you see yourself like in the same type of? Yeah, I don't really see ourselves as competitors at all because what Gimlet is doing, I mean, they're they're just producing a completely different type of Mm. product. That's very true. So we we don't even try to, like, we, we don't have... Uh, we don't have screenwriters on our staff writing elaborate scripts. Like yeah. what what we're trying to do for B2B companies is allowing them to have conversations with their ideal buyers about conversations in their industry. And those don't require elaborate scripts. Yeah. Uh, they they require, you know, some help with content planning and like, hey, here, here are some good questions to ask related to this topic, but but it's not nearly as heavy of a lift is what Gimlet's doing. Gimlet's yeah. also worked really hard, I think, from what I can tell with the partnership with Apple and Spotify, you know, now being acquired by Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got the ability to get their shows listed organically in these platforms, especially now, now being owned by yeah. Spotify. I would yeah. imagine that Spotify puts a lot of energy toward um, toward pushing people to their content. And so where their shows are very creative and, and I 
listen to a lot of their shows. I think their show's great. I don't, uh, I don't even consider them close to competitive with us because it's a completely different product it and a completely totally different is. use case, really. B2B company, yeah. I, I think B2B companies that try to produce that type of show are in for a very long road. Um, and I, I, I've seen companies try to do it. I've seen companies like SAP and, and different companies that have tried to do that more narrative style podcast. And unless you have really, really talented people that know how to tell insanely compelling stories, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's just really hard to pull off and, and it's really hard to keep people engaged. But if, if the primary focus of your show is instead to say, we want to create really tactical, helpful content for our specific buyer persona, we don't need long, elaborate, extensive scripts to do that. We can do that by asking very strategic questions to the people, the exact people that are that are in the driver's seat mm-hmm. of uh, of their uh, you know uh, if in their industry. So their VPs, their director level, their C-suite folks in the industry they're poised to answer those questions because they're making those decisions every single day. And so by asking the right question, you can end up creating really helpful content without all of the effort of doing this big long form narrative thing. And you know, that's gotta be a lot of effort and a lot of time to create what they do. Although it's wonderful to listen to, but holy moly, that's gotta be. And these industries, you know, and a lot of the industries that we're working in, they're very niche. And so there's not a lot of people that are going to be interested in that content when you yeah. look at it in through the lens of like, you know, we, there's not, there's probably not a million people in the country that want to listen to a podcast on maritime logistics because it's just, you know, it's a limited industry. So, so yeah. why invest all of that time yeah. into something that naturally doesn't have, doesn't have a huge audience where Gimlet is trying to attract anybody that has a pulse to yeah. listen shows. So the, the creativity and, and the ideas and the concepts and that you have to be, you, you know, I, I get why you have to do that type of content because you're trying to reach the masses. Yeah. The, the companies we're working with, they're not trying to reach the masses. They, they have a very specific person in mind that they're trying to reach and, mm-hmm. and, and you don't need to invest, you know, a hundred thousand dollars an episode when you can spend 50 grand a year to have a weekly show. Yeah. Very much so. So I asked, you know, the difficult things when you were starting. So what's the favorite thing that you've got going on right now that you're doing inside Sweetfish? Yeah. So there's a couple things. One is we just, we just rolled out an evangelist program for, uh, for five different people on our team. So I'm one of the evangelists and then our creative director, our director of audience growth, our director of partnerships and our COO. And what we're doing is we're starting to pour an enormous amount of resources into creating content for those five people people, myself included, um, for us to be able to push that content out on LinkedIn. So I don't know how active you are on LinkedIn, Tabitha, but there's an enormous opportunity there right now from an organic reach perspective. It's Mm -hmm. like, think Facebook, like back in 2007. Um, And so uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm able to post something on LinkedIn and get get 20,000 views on it without putting any ad spend behind it. And so we're trying to squeeze all of the juice out of that lemon um, while the organic reach is still available. And so Uh we've got our design team and our video team that are creating, that are repurposing content like this. So this, this will likely turn into five or six different micro videos 
videos. We've got our designers that are turning, uh, that are turning different pieces of content into LinkedIn decks. And we're thinking about these five evangelists within our business as marketing distribution for the company. So instead mm -hmm. of pushing out content through the logo, through the Sweetfish logo, which I just, I just believe people don't care that much about, instead of pushing that content out through individuals within our business, through Kelsey, through Dan, through Bill, through myself, through Logan, people are going to pay much more attention to that. Because I think people trust faces way more mm -hmm. than they trust logos. And so building out our evangelist program is something I'm super excited about. And then another thing that we're starting to do, um, we've been doing these comedy roundtables, And so we're going to start producing a lot more funny videos to get exposure for right now for B2B growth, but eventually we'll be doing it for all of the different podcasts that we own. And I just, that comes from a belief that I think funny wins. I think uh -huh. funny is engaging. I think funny people pay attention to. And in the B2B space, there's not nearly enough people doing funny well because it's really hard to do. And so, yeah. um, so we've, we've got somebody on our team that's a, that's a former comedic screenwriter and wow. he's been doing, uh, he's been doing some really good work for us. So I'm really excited to start seeing more funny videos come out from, from our content engine, because I think it's going to bring a lot of attention to the business well, and to our shows. And I bet you money, everybody that you're working with is going to have a lot more fun at work doing those videos versus. Right? <laughs> I, I, I love seeing those, those comedy roundtables on my calendar because they're just naturally more fun. So yeah. our next video, because our audience is B2B marketers, we're going to do the title of the video is going to be when a B2B marketer plans a gender reveal. And so like, it's just going to be hilarious. And we've already, we've already come up with, you know, 30 or 40 different ideas. Um, and we started to figure out who the cast is going to be and where we're going to film it. And so it's, it's just really, really fun. So between our evangelist program and producing a lot of funny videos, those are a couple of the things I'm super excited about. I love it. I love it. So I've got to ask a, another question on your LinkedIn. I, I am on LinkedIn, not as much as I used or should be. Yeah. I'm getting into it. I'm getting into it. <laughs> Uh, I noticed that you've got a picture of you and Gary v Vaynerchuk up there. So yeah. I see you had a conversation with him. How'd that I go? Did. I did. I, so in 2017, we did a virtual event called Aligned, and it was all about sales and marketing alignment. And I, going back to this idea of, you know, collective thought leadership going further, faster together, I decided to work with two friends of mine that I had known. They'd been guests on the podcast, but I decided to work with these two guys on this event is Jeremy Boudinet and my other friend, Brandon Redlinger. And while we were planning Aligned, Jeremy was like, man, we should try to get some big name speakers to this event. And of course, like I, I kind of poo-poo the idea of getting big name speakers because to me, I just want to connect with our ideal buyers. So mm -hmm. I would much rather interview a VP of marketing than I would, you know, Simon Sinek or, or Gary Vee. I yeah. love Gary Vee, like uh -huh. and borderline obsessed with Gary Vee. And so when he was like, oh, we should try to get big name speakers. I was like, eh, okay, like we can try, but it's not the end of the world if we don't, because really I, I'm just concerned with interviewing people that I can potentially do business with and create really great content with. Um, and so he ends up having a connection with the guy running the Chattanooga office of VaynerMedia. And he's got an office in Chattanooga. Yeah. Yeah. He's got an office in Chattanooga. So, uh, and Jeremy's based in Chattanooga. So he was okay, like, Hey, I would never have cool. pictured that. Sorry. That for me. <laughs> yeah. So if he's, uh, so, so Jeremy reached out and was like, Hey man, like we got, 
we got, you know, an hour and a half of Gary's time or an hour of Gary's time on this particular day. Do you want to drive up to Chattanooga and interview him? I'm going to interview him for our podcast. You can interview him for the virtual summit. And so that's how that ended up happening. Uh, and it was incredible. It's, you know, it got, it got, uh, Gary ended up using the footage from that interview on one of his, uh, daily V's, uh -huh. uh, his, his, uh, videos on YouTube. And so it was really, really cool. He's a super genuine guy. No, obviously knows his stuff, but to see how engaged he was in the interview process, he's not looking down at his phone. He's super locked in and engaged, uh, with both Jeremy and myself, we were both interviewing him. It was really cool to see. Um, even though we know that his phone was probably blowing up 17 different ways from Sunday, uh, oh, the yeah. hour that he was with us, but, uh, but yeah, that was a really cool experience. I can't even begin to imagine. That's pretty cool. That's pretty <laughs> but so cool. many people. I, I, I hesitate to share that because so many people get tripped up with thinking that interviewing influencers is this path to podcast audience growth. And it's actually couldn't be further from the truth. So I've interviewed Noah Kagan, the founder of AppSumo. I've interviewed Simon Sinek because his publisher came to us and asked if he could be on the show to promote one of his new books. And I've interviewed Gary Vee. Those three episodes are some of our least downloaded episodes in our lineup. And most people don't think that, but the reality wow. is, um, you know, th those people are not sharing their episode. They create their own content and uh -huh. you shouldn't have to share your content, right? Because they're doing yeah. their own stuff. So mm -hmm. they're not going to pour their resources behind promoting, you know, some podcast that isn't theirs when they instead could be running paid advertising behind their own content mm -hmm. and promoting their own content through organic channels. So, uh, so many people think that the path to audience growth is by interviewing influencers and it can work, but it's very rare. Very rarely have I seen that actually be a, uh, you know, map to legitimate audience size just by interviewing influencers. Yeah, so true. So true. So the last question that I have for you is what are you currently listening to or reading that is helping you grow as a person or as an entrepreneur? That is a fantastic question. I'm reading a book called Alchemy and I'm going to look and see who wrote it. It's a guy named Rory Sutherland. So he works for Ogilvy and the book Alchemy. Um, so the, the, um, the subtitle, what's it say here? Subtitle is The Dark Art of Creating Magic and Curious Science in Brands, Business, and Life. So he's talking about just outside the box thinking and how they built a practice at Ogilvy to specifically look at things different. So mm -hmm. like he, he opens the book by telling the story of, you know, if, if you were going to dethrone Coca-Cola, how would you go about doing it? Well, you'd probably want to create a drink that tastes better is in bigger is in a bigger can and uh and uh, what else did he say it tastes better it's in a bigger can and, and it's cheaper um and instead <laughs> red bull created something that tastes way worse is in a much <laughs> smaller can and uh and is way more expensive and yet you know they're selling six they're winning. cans a year now so uh so he just he talks about how unconventional thinking can lead you to solutions that you would have never otherwise thought um and and so it's really fascinating book that uh that that i'm reading right now and then our director of audience growth has just started reading it as well so it'll be fun to talk with him about it 
that's awesome i love getting book because we try to i'm not the greatest at it but we try to get a book a month with the company and everybody read it and i still have a a pile here that i haven't gone through yet but let me add another one to the list (laughs) but that one sounds very interesting and right up my alley so well thank you so much for uh for being on the podcast i've i've really enjoyed just getting to know you and learning about sweet fish and yeah thank you so much tabitha i'm really uh really excited to see this thing go live and Um, excited to share it with our audience as well. Yes, yes. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Digital Agency Insiders Podcast. For more tutorials on growing your digital marketing agency, make sure to visit digitalagencyinsiders.com.